0: Welcome to Positivity Rocks, the podcast for all your positivity needs. I'm David Baker and I'm your host. Today we've got a very, very special guest on my show, my good friend, Sharon Rosenblum, the author of the international bestseller, Widowed with Kids. Sharon, it's great to have you here.
1: Hello, David, and thank you.
0: Uh, you're very welcome. It's uh, it's a beautiful day today somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, it's great to have you here and uh, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today so why, for first start, why don't you tell everybody um who you are and what you do and uh yeah tell us about yourself Sharon
1: Hi, well i'm i unfortunately lost my husband 19 years ago when i was 39 my children had two young children um daughter of seven and my son was five. My son has complex special needs. He has autism, dyspraxia, ADHD, learning difficulties, speech impairments, and global delay. So even before losing my husband, life was very challenging just with him as he was. Um, Unfortunately, my husband had pancreatic cancer. Usually people with pancreatic cancer don't have long to live, a year, two years, five is like max. My husband had it. 14 years previous, and he went 14 years in remission, which I don't think has ever been heard of. But unfortunately, when he was 41, he lost his life. So for me, I just didn't want to be here anymore without my best friend, my husband, my soulmate, and lived in that darkest, darkest place for absolutely years. Um, I hid my grief. If I walked out, went out anywhere, and people saw me, they said, How are you? And I said, I'm okay but I felt absolutely totally broken and shattered inside. So to look at me, it was like as if I was wearing a mask. No one ever really knew how I physically felt or mentally felt. And I just, like I've said, I just didn't want to be here anymore because my husband had cancer of the pancreas. He had his pancreas removed, so he was actually diabetic. I had a fridge full of insulin and boxes of syringes. And honestly, I could have taken my own life very, very easily. And thank God I had children, because if I hadn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. Was it 16? Oh no, I then started, there was an advert in my local paper saying um, there was a charity looking for bereavement therapists. And my neighbour was a counsellor and she said to me, why don't you apply for it? And I just said, I can't do that. She said, yes, of course you can. I can't do that. I said, anyway, long story short, I did that. It was a very small training. I did it and I absolutely loved it helping people that have been in long relationships and then on their own and I got a good feeling out of it, being able to help people to feel better. I then thought I want to do more of this so I did train properly and I'm now a counsellor, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, life coach, naturopath and am very very proud author which I'll tell you about in a minute. Um, And I did go have two relationships. It was quite a few years after losing my husband. But I was in that very negative space, lived in fear. And so you attract those sorts of people. And the first relationship I was in, he was very, very controlling. He was married for um, 30 years. And for 29 and a half years, his wife had been cheating on him. it's understandable that he didn't trust me. And if I went shopping, for instance, in my supermarket, if I was out for like an hour and a half, he would be phoning me, where are you? Who are you talking to? So it was really, really hard. And I felt like very, very controlled. And eventually we did split up. I then went in another relationship. And again, it was very similar, very controlling. And I don't know why, oh, that's right. I went to a personal development group. There was a thing came up on Facebook. Are you in a relationship? Are you not happy? etc. And I just clicked on the link and this lovely lady phoned me back and asked me about it and she said to me, I'd love you to do a big thing in a hotel in London and you stand up at the mic and speak your story. And I said to her, how many people go? She said on average between 100, 150. And I just laughed. I had zero confidence. I said, if there was a dozen people, then maybe I would stand up and share my story. I said, but I'm not going to share my story in front of 100, 150 people. Anyway, long story short, I did share my story. And I actually stood at the mic shaking like a leaf and I said, I wish he'd finished with me. I didn't want to finish with him. This was on the Saturday. Three days later or four days later on the Wednesday, which was the first day of spring, he finished with me. And I think he wanted me to be on the phone crying, oh, please no, let's stay together. And I'm like, "Yeah, he's finished (laughs) with me um anyway i signed up for her program and it was a personal development program which i absolutely loved but when i joined it i was miss fearful we used to have to stand up and do different things in the rooms and like she set us different targets and i was absolutely terrified and then one one weekend i thought i want to become miss i was miss fearful and i wanted to be miss fearless and i hate heights and you know when like when they do I don't know if you ever watch I'm a Celebrity when they do the skydive into the jungle and I just thought it used to make me feel physically sick when I watched it but I thought I'm going to do that and there were six ladies we were all going to do it together and one by one they all dropped out I thought what to do it on my own and I always hated doing things on my own but I couldn't do it because even if you've had done something really mild like given blood in the last two weeks you can't do it But when I was 26, I had a brain tumour. And although that's like 32 years ago, if you've had any brain surgery, you couldn't do it. And I was gutted and I thought, because I was so excited at the thought of doing it. And um, I just thought, I want to get this excited feeling back. And one day I was scrolling through Facebook and one of my friends had written a book and she said, does anyone want to be put in touch with my author? When I was at school, I got two U's and an E in English. And people have often said to me, oh Sharon, you should write a book when I've told them my story. And just laughed, because I thought I can't write a book, but I don't know why my finger clicked and I did it anyway. Long story short, I am now a very, very proud author of the book called Widowed With Kids. And it's how I went from that darkest place to where I am now, I'd say the brightest. Um, originally, when I was going to name the book, my surname is Rose in Bloom, and I wanted to call it The Rose in Bloom, because that is how I feel I am now. But I thought, you know, if I want to help people that are grieving, you know, if you saw a book on Amazon, a book called A Rose in Bloom isn't going to help you, or you wouldn't even think of it. So that's why I called it Widowed With Kids, which is what I was or what I am. And um, yeah, so then did a lot of personal developments, and actually know my author. She set me a seven-day challenge, and again, like, I had no confidence to do things on Facebook, etc. It was a seven-day Facebook live, and the first one I had to just talk about me a little bit and say that I was a proud author. I think the first time I did it, I was literally pooping my pants. I was absolutely terrified. But then, when I did it, you know, when people are always reading the comments at the bottom, and I'm like reading the comments, I like, oh this was quite quite enjoyed it actually. Then the following day, I think I had to be a child and my mum had gone out and I found a Christmas present. And again, I enjoyed that. But the third day or the fourth day, I had to sing on Facebook. Well, I sing like, well, you'd you'd run away if you heard me sing, it's awful. <laughs> but I sung on Facebook and I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. And it took me back to being a child actually, when I was about, I don't know, four or five years old, I always used my dad used to, be in my dad's car and he'd have the radio on and I'd be singing at the top of my voice or I'd be in my mum's bedroom and in, in front of the mirror with my brush singing and it's you do, when you're a child you just don't care what other people think of you what you sound like you just if you want if you're happy and you're enjoying on something you, you don't care what others think but when you get to adult age you do care and um so yes, yeah, so I did a lot of self-development. I never ever loved myself. I'm probably talking too much. You probably wanted to ask me questions. Of <laughs> off
0: off. I'm I'm enjoying listening to what you're saying. This is fantastic. I I you, I've, I've been sitting here making notes, and you you know you said so much, and I love it. yeah, you know, just popping back a little bit because it's you know it's um, important. You know, for for me, um, my change was very much a light bulb moment in my. In my 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 uh, my mind you know it was that moment where, like okay i've got to change now Boom! Well, that's here's the light bulb i um, mean you you mentioned that you you got offered to go on a on a course um was that your light bulb moment or what was it that when you you know you went from that negative person to the one who goes you know i've got this i i know where i'm going and i think i know how to get there
1: what was that Boom, that, I suppose that's sweet. my light bulb moment was I wanted to change and I wanted to do the skydive, and because I couldn't, I wanted to get that excited feeling back, and that's when I, right, well, you heard just now, but that's when I thought I'll write the book. And but the other thing really is, I never loved myself, never believed in myself, never valued myself, and. Over time, working on myself, I now, I always used to say, sorry, I keep on waffling on, but you're not asking me questions. But this is perfect. when I first, my mother-in-law, unfortunately, lost her husband when she was 49. And she's never, ever, ever been in another relationship. I don't even think she's ever been out for dinner with another man. And she's a very independent woman. Bless her, she's now in her late 80s and still driving, etc. She's fantastic. But I always used to say... I don't want to be a sad old lady like my mother-in-law and so now I would say I don't need anyone else to fill my cup because I filled it myself when you can love yourself unconditionally and doesn't matter what other people think that to me is I would say the best feeling because I don't need anyone else to make me happy I always used to
0: no, but it's, it's perfect, Sharon. Because you know what, you, you are far from a sad old lady. I mean, I've known no, you for quite a used... while now, and yeah. you know, the the positivity, positivity, and the vibe uh, from you is always infectious. So you know, you you definitely have got that something, and I, um, I I feel that you uh you you have that in, in abundance, and you want to give that to other people, and uh, yeah. so. What is that drive for you? What is that? Um, what is it that gets you into that positive frame of mind?
1: I suppose I filled myself, I had two addictions as well. Um, and my naive brain thought addictions were drugs or alcohol. I was addicted to food and chocolate and also shopping. So I used to go out, well in fact every emotion I've ever felt my whole life i fed with chocolate and sugar and I'd also go out and buy things because it was a shopping addiction too but I always used to say I'm a chocoholic but I used to say I've got a sweet tooth never realised I was actually addicted to it. Um, the same with the shopping, I unfortunately got diagnosed with skin cancer, um, it's probably about nine years ago, eight, nine years ago now. and. When I stopped the chocolate and got rid of that, I honest to God feel now in a peace, in a joy and inner happiness. And I never ever felt that before. So I think putting all those toxins in my body, since I've got rid of all those toxins and also I've removed myself from a lot of people, um, changed the people that I'm friends with and spend my time with. I think when you, because I'm not getting negativity from other people either i myself from that, Yeah, that I,
0: answers I, your question. I, I find that um, when you're a positive person, the negative people don't come around you. <laughs> they don't yeah. want to be around you because, you know, negative people are drawn to negative people. Same as positive people are drawn to positive people. And um, the addictions with the food addiction, I mean, I, I believe I told you in the part, I mean, I, I used to be an alcoholic. So Did you? it was you know for me i would be drinking for no reason it really i you know it was just a case. you know you'd walk in the door open a beer and next thing you know you've got seven beer cans sitting around you um you know changing that out of my life really it for me that came around as a necessity more than a, a wanting to um it was back in 2016 when um i Uh, I I actually collapsed in a pub. Um, I just got back to England and uh, I I found out I had something called Mallory-Weiss syndrome, which was basically a wearing of the lining of the esophagus. And uh, it it was basically a wake up call, Um, you know, stop drinking. Um, And at that time I was also taking a lot of pain medication as well, because I thought I was in pain um, when I really wasn't. Um, again it was it was masking all my problems i really did have which was my depression and my anxiety it cultivated over the 30 years but it came from uh, obviously the initial trigger was my father's death back in 1981. you know i was uh it happened four days before my 12th birthday um so you know as a child i you know back then there was no therapy for children it was it was kind of a pat on the head and so you know i'm sorry but carry on over the next over the next years my depression took on a life of its own it, my father's death was no longer really it was yes it was the root cause but i created the depression i created what came along by my actions i drank to take away the pain I took pills to take away the pain. Oh, if I had a knee injury or, you know, from playing football or doing martial arts or something like that, then I would be popping pills because it's what I thought I needed when I really didn't. Um, but it's when you actually realize that everything that you need is already inside you, everything for your recovery is already inside you, that's when things can start to change. Um, and obviously for yourself, it was the same thing. You, you found the inner strength to turn your life around. And I don't know if you can explain that feeling. <laughs> I know it's really, I, it's kind of tough. Cause I, for me, once I, I, I came to terms with all my past, I had the most amazing sense of calm that I'd ever had. And I've carried that through. Um, you know for the last five years or so that this calmness that I know that everything is going to be okay because I know that whatever happens from now on it's all up to me it's my responsibility to keep things going so um, for me it's heavily based on my routine each day what I do whether it be journaling um, taking in positivity being with other positive people so for you was there a sense of feeling for you what was it that
1: I suppose it's funny when I've got a park opposite where I live and I was terrified to even walk through the park and one challenge I had to do was to actually walk through the park and I did it but I was walking through the park and nobody smiled at me nothing everyone was so sort of walking around with like a long face and I thought oh my goodness and then what? I think halfway round, I started talking to this little old man and I think I had a coat on or I didn't have a coat on, whatever it was. And he said to me, aren't you cold or aren't you hot? And I said, no, and we just started chatting and everyone was saying good morning to him. And I got home and I'm thinking, nobody said hello. Oh, that's right. And we got to, I said, why is it everyone says hello to you? No one said hello to me. And he said, he sort of shrugged his shoulders. He said, I suppose I've always said good morning to people. And I thought, wow, there's me walking around probably really sort of with a long face, thinking it was everyone else, but it was probably me. So I did it the following day and everyone I walked past, good morning, good morning. And everyone smiled and said it back to me. And I'm like, wow, there's me thinking it's everybody else, but it was actually me. So when you change, because somebody also said to me one day, you attract more fear when you're in the fear vibration. Whereas now when I go out, I mean, it's just, it happens automatically whenever I go shopping, etc., and I see people in the supermarket, oh, good morning, good morning, or hello. Or, it's hard to smile now with the face mask on, but um, it's funny, actually there's one little old man that, always, that works there and he always chats to me. And I said to him, I said, I am smiling. He said, I know I can tell by your eyes. That was when I had my face mask on. Yeah, it's- So yeah, it's what you give out.
0: Absolutely, and I, I love what you just said there about the, the saying good morning thing, because if you want to put yourself in a positive mood, that is one of the simplest things you can do is when you're walking down the street, lift your head up and smile and say good morning to people. And I know it can be very off-putting to actually speaking to a stranger for some people, but you do it once and you get a response, you know, and then and then you do it again and do it again. and And if you see the same people every day, you suddenly start to build up a rapport with these people, and now yeah. there's there's some people on my on my journey each morning who I go by. They never used to say hello to me. The head would always be down, and I made it my like a, a mission on me to get a good morning out of them. And then once I got a good morning out of them, then it's like, hey, how you doing today? And and just yeah. you know, and they don't have to be long conversations. Like two seconds as you're passing. But you yes. never know; if those words are going to make a difference in someone's life. People say good morning to you. You're letting them know that they're not alone. They're that yes. they are there are good people in the world. right there is happiness in the world. Um, you know, you just got to smile. <laughs> and
1: uh, it's funny; it's what we told as children. It's like our past narratives. Don't talk to strangers. Yeah. And actually, my son, blessing. He's 24, but developmentally like a six-year, six-seven-year-old. So I always say to me, you mustn't talk to strangers. But then there's me, I go into someone and I'd like, hello, good morning, you know, and it's like, hey, ho, that's, yes. Yeah, I, yeah,
0: I remember that from when I was a kid, I'd be out with my mother and she would be saying hello to everybody and I'd be going, who was that? And she goes, I don't know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's what he says to me, who's that? Who's that when I smile at people and I'll say hello and I said, I don't know, and he said, stranger. And I said, well, it's okay, because I'm an adult. <laughs>
0: So, Sharon, in your, in your line of work, uh, you come across a lot of people who are in various states of grief. Um, what's, what would you say to somebody who's, who's really not in a good place? Um, what would you say to them to you know, start them on their, their road to recovery?
1: I do. I tell most of my clients that you have to go through this darkest, painful time before you will feel better. You can't sort of avoid the pain that they're feeling. Um, when I was trained as a, an official counsellor, you don't sort of tell anybody what to do, you just sort of sit and listen, etc. And but you never tell clients what to do. But because I'm a coach as well, I do help to push them forward, not push them forward, but to help them to move forward in healthy ways in their life and encourage them to, you know, I set them targets and things to do throughout between programmes when we have, when we have each other. So uh, there's many stages you do go through when you're grieving. Um, A lot of psychiatrists have said there's five, some say seven, Um, but the main ones, the first one is shock or denial, there's anger, guilt, depression, bargaining and acceptance. And you don't get it's not a linear line it's often a very dark spiral and people get stuck in that spiral which i did um, but you have to go through that pain before you can
0: if um i never really came to terms with my father's death you know it was a very traumatic time for me um you know because he did take his own life um and it was it was a, you know a very close Instant for me um i never actually confronted the issue i never confronted the problems surrounding it and you know over the 30 years you know i i never healed the wound um that was there and i know (laughs) what it was was um my my wife now she made me go up to the graveside where he was and have a chat with him uh, which is something I'd never done I, I'd only actually been to the graveside twice and that was the second the time. time yeah really? um, you know the first time was a funeral and the second time was when I went back there and so it took me ages to find it. <laughs> um, but then when I did I basically said everything that I wanted to say to him everything um, you know how I felt you know what it meant to me and by the end of it it was it was like a, a huge weight being left off like I was being set free um, and it, it what's funny is I, I do actually have a video <laughs> of it Sylvana video the, like the afterwards and you can actually yeah. see a physical change in me which is it's it's wholly remarkable because I went there with a lot of pressure on my shoulders and you can just see how relaxed and and karma was. And I think that's a you know, with a a lot of grief, people do hold everything back because they, um, as you said at the beginning, they don't want to be seen as weak maybe, or suffering or, you know, they're putting that mask on. Um, You know, letting that mask let go is, is, what we really need to do, even though even so, if it's so difficult. So, um, you know, for people who want to change and get away from that, do you have any keywords of wisdom uh, for people who are recovering like that?
1: No, I would just say that everybody is unique and nobody grieves in the same way. And I don't know if you were told as a child, big boys don't cry, um, or st- you know, be strong, which because I find a lot of male clients that I've had, find it so hard to cry because they're told as children, big boys don't cry or be strong. So when they have lost a loved one, be it parents, partner, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. They find it so hard to cry and then they feel so guilty because they're not crying and they're not sad. Although they feel sad internally, they're not letting out and women are like that too it's not just men but um
0: yeah it's it's the whole coke bottle syndrome you know you you, you shake it up and sooner or later it's going to pop yes. um you know blow
1: not done about pop yeah it it's
0: you know for me when i'm i'm coaching it's always letting people know that their thoughts are valid there their uh, feelings are valid and that they can uh, progress and get let that moment sit where it was in the past because you know you you can't change anything
1: No.
0: the only thing um, you hold on to is those memories and yeah cherish the good ones but you still have to let it go
1: even when writing my book i was 18 years down the line. And there'd still be days when I was writing the book, I'd be sobbing my heart out. And I thought I'd dealt with it all. But it's only when you put pen to paper, so to speak, which is why I'm very into meditation now, and I'm into journaling, because the thoughts are still up in your mind. So it's so important to write. as much. I always tell clients now, meditation is like the first thing I would recommend they do, and then journaling because when it's out of your head, when it's down on paper, it's not still in your mind, so that is very important.
0: That was the biggest part of my recovery, was the writing. That was where my uh, the, my book is still waiting to be published, but um, that's where the majority of material come from, was those early days of recovery, because I'd, I just couldn't stop writing once I discovered that it was such a release to let all that out um, and yes. that's why I still journal every single day and I write down um, on uh, my, my Instagram posts every day the thoughts that I'm thinking because uh, on my Instagram posts those posts yes they're for other people to read but really that's there for me to because that's how I want to be you know, so I'm I'm actually coaching myself yes. <laughs> when I'm when I'm writing this, and I think for a lot of people, and I'm speaking generally here, but you have people they go in dips and phases, um, because what they do is they will do the work for a little while, they will think they're fine, and then they'll stop, yeah. and then they slide backwards again. Now, you know as well as I do it's um our growth and our, our mental health is, it's an everyday effort i don't
1: think you can ever stop
0: no it's you know every every day you've got to be visiting you've got to be checking in with yourself you've got to be if you get a negative thought why am i thinking this thought today is it of any use to me is there anything i can do about it but always always um making sure that you're that you are fine. Okay, maybe you can miss one day um, and you'll be all right. But if you miss two days, you're in trouble because by the third day, you've dropped out of your routine and that can be hard to get back. Um, So for me, routine, highly important. Um, So yeah, Sharon, what do you see coming up for for you in the next uh, year or so?
1: Well, I don't know, to be honest, I'd love my book to be made into a film because in X amount of years when I'm not here, I think it will help so many people to see that you can go from that darkest place to the brightest or, you know, because I I suppose in comparison, I was a weed when I started and I now honestly believe I am that rose in blue and couldn't be in a better place. I say couldn't be in a better place, that's the wrong thing to say because I know i'm going to be in a better place but i'm so happy in my life at the moment yeah things can always get better i i don't know i'm really open to suggestions where i will be in a year's time or however long time but i'm going to continue to grow. actually somebody once said to me i'm like an acorn and i'm going to be an oak tree or something because i never i couldn't swim started swimming lessons and I now love the gym, I love going to water aerobics, which, and I can't swim, I hated the water. And I think the man there said to me, you're like an acorn and you're going to be like an oak tree. Or you were an acorn, you're going to be like an oak tree. And that, it's true, I just love it. And it's something that I said I would never do the same as I would never write a book. So we can, without change, there will be no change. Absolutely. And I just thought of something else as well that I said I wanted to share with you. So I never had any passion in life, ever. I was literally Miss Negative, Miss Fearful, and I was on a course and I met a lovely lady who dealt with essential oils, doTERRA, the oils that she worked with, and she said to me, because I was a very negative person, she said, can I come round with you and I'll just smell the oils and it's like, for your emotional oils. So anyway, so she had seven that she wanted me to smell. She wouldn't let me see what they were called. She said, I don't want to know which ones you like, just which ones you don't like. So I'm smelling them all. Well, that's nice, that's nice. She said, no, Sharon, I want to know the one you don't like. And she gave me one to smell. Literally, I felt sick, it was disgusting. I said, oh, that's disgusting. She said, this is the oil you need. And I said to her, I'm not going to spend X amount of money on an oil that's disgusting, that I don't like the smell of. So she gave me a little sample. She said, I want you to put this on tonight before you go to bed and then in the morning. Oh my God, I woke up in the morning. I felt like, wonderful, absolutely ecstatic. I said to her, I then messaged her, I said, what on earth did you give me? Because I felt like I was on a high. (laughs) And guess what the oil was called?
0: Rose? (laughs) Passion. Passion.
1: (laughs) Passion. And it's honest to God, since using that oil, I have found my passion in life, in me, in what I want to do. And it's, yeah, incredible.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Sharon, where can people find you if they want to get hold of you and uh, speak to you?
1: Um, My book is on Amazon. Yes. Widowed with Kids by Sharon Rose and Bloom. I have got a website which is going to be finishing in the next month, so I won't give you that, but I'm going to have a new one. Actually, I could tell you my new one, although it's not live yet, but it will be called Rose in Bloom Therapies. Facebook, I'm under Sharon Rosenbloom, Instagram is Sharon Rosenbloom. So So, yeah, yeah. So if anyone wants to, they can always come through you and then you can give them my details.
0: Absolutely. Sharon, it has been a wonderful uh, experience to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so very much.
1: My pleasure. Uh, It's
0: been lovely. Wonderful. This has been Positivity Rocks. Thank you very much.